You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera and everything in between, if you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. You can go to a local retail store. Or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com. They have thousands of local retail shops all over the U.S., so you can go there as well. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. Woo! One, two. This is the Hunting Gear Podcast, and just like the title implies, we cover all things hunting gear and equipment, from discussions with the top manufacturers to product reviews from past hunting experiences. Our goal is to provide you with reliable and unbiased product information in hopes of educating you on new products and assisting in future purchases. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Bob Polanik. What's up, dude? Hey, Dan, how's it going? Oh, man. I'm inside of a month till my elk hunt. How about you? Uh, I'm just outside a month. I don't think we are leaving until uh, September 12th, but definitely uh, a lot of a lot of prep for it, a lot of uh, whitetail prep as well, considering, you know, a good portion of September, you're out west, so uh, got to get everything done before you go on that elk hunt. That's right. So, let's see. Are you the kind of guy who likes to pack a week or two out and have everything ready, or are you that kind of guy who's like, oh, man, I leave in two days. I better really, I, I better buckle down. Um, I've I've done it enough times that I just uh, I kind of wait till. Um, I wait till about the day before. Also, yeah. I, I train I train pretty uh, uh, aggressively with my backpack and, and weight in my backpack. Yeah. Um, so I can't really pack it until 24 to 48 hours before I leave anyway, because I usually have uh, actual weights in it. You know, I've got some old, old like uh, bibs and whatnot in the bottom of it to kind of mimic a sleeping bag. And then I have a, a uh, like 25 pound um like plate weight yeah and then i'll add depending on how much i want to how much weight i want to add I'll, you know add some you know water or something like that because you know a gallon of water is about eight pounds so kind of mimic at that plus you can 
drink it as you hike and get the end of your hike a little bit lighter. But, uh, so yeah, I kind of wait and then, you know, loading the car up and stuff like that. It's, I don't know. It doesn't take long. You right. go on enough hunting and fishing trips, you kind of have a system. Everything's sitting in the corner in the garage anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have this big, this big tote that is full of everything I need for my elk hunt from last year. And the only thing I really pull out of it is the items that I need for my whitetail hunting season. And then those are in a specific corner. So I'll probably pack two days before and then, uh, I'll be good to go. And, and I was fortunate enough last year to where I, I, I had a, a big purchase year last year where I, you know, upgraded a whole bunch of stuff. And so this year, you know, my boots are only a year old, so I don't need new boots. I don't need a new bow. I don't need new, well, I got new arrows earlier in the year, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to need any quote unquote gear for specifically for that trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. It's, uh, yeah. Elk hunting. There's definitely some upfront cost. The first, the first two years I'd say. And then after that, it kind of, you're just looking at a tag. Um, this year I actually, my, so last year I didn't fill my elk tag and I got the old, like my, from my wife when I was giving her like the update after, uh, you know, eight days in the mountains, she was like, well, didn't you even, didn't you have a shot, shot at like a cow or anything like that? You know, the typical, yeah, like that type of question. Cause it is an expensive tag and it's just a, the answer is always like, yeah, if I had a shot opportunity, I, I definitely would have taken it. Yeah. So this year she's got a tag and I don't. And we were talking, I was like, yeah, I was like, so when this hunt's done, um, and if you, for whatever reason, don't fill your tag, I'll be asking you why you didn't fill it. And you'll understand. <laughs> Even though <laughs> she's, you're there with her. Yeah, exactly. Then, then you'll know how aggravating that question is when you do everything you possibly can for a week straight to fill a tag and then you give a report to the old spouse and she, the, the only thing they say is, well, why didn't you get it filled? You know, why didn't you kill anything? Well, you'll see. You'll, you'll see. That's all I have to say about yeah. that. I've, I've been through those conversations before with my wife and, uh, she, she, your wife's a participant, right? She, she deer hunts, yeah. she gun hunts, she's out backpacking with you and stuff. My wife last year was her first ever shotgun season and this year, are, uh, and she's killed numerous turkeys, but <laughs> I'm going to, like, I don't know how to put this. I've been nice to her as far as putting her in specific spots for turkey hunting. Basically, they fly out of the roost and she shoots them type of, nice. type of hunts. Nice. Yep. And I think I'm going to take first shot this upcoming year and then make her, <laughs> her grind out the entire season looking for yep. a, a, another turkey. So, so um, let's see. Physic, you know, f- physical fitness right that's the big buzzword you know we got all these people in the gym saying oh god i gotta get pumped for elk right um yeah do do you do any type of training specifically for elk hunting to get prepped uh yes i do i um well first of all i learned the hard way my first year that uh being uh in great physical shape at the gym where you can lift a lot of weight, you can bench press a lot, you can curl a lot. That doesn't really do you any good. That's actually (laughs) just, that's just extra weight that you have to carry around in the long run. So uh, I talked to my wife, I was telling my wife, uh, if you're an elk hunter, your, your biceps shouldn't be bigger than your calves. Yeah. 
That's yeah. a fact, man. Uh, I yep. that's the exact same experience I had when I went out there, uh, amongst some other things. But I did the you know people people say, hey man, you got to get in shape. And my idea of getting in shape was running for one mile, only one mile. Uh, and I live in Iowa. Uh, you can attest to the flatlander lifestyle, right? The, oh yeah. The yeah. Run, one mile run, you don't even really break a sweat, and then you go to the gym and you know bench press. I did some deadlifts, some squats, and then I get out there. And I thought I was literally going to die. And I was only, I was only about seven thousand feet. Yeah. Yep. So, well, mate, I take that back. Seven to eight thousand feet. And now this this Colorado hunt that I'm coming up on, our camp is at ten two or ten three or something mm. like that. And, and wow. I just we we make it past eleven, you know, a handful of days, and it's brutal. But if you if you prepare for it right, man, and that's what I do is I just I try to do I. I bumped up my runs to three, three mile runs. I do some weights, uh, not a lot of weights, but I try to get my cardio in check and then put the backpack on and hike. Right. I I feel like the best way to prepare for anything is to mimic what you're going to be doing. And hiking is with heavy load on your back. Probably was the best thing that I did. I, yeah, I completely agree. uh, So from my first year to, to now, yeah, it's completely changed. You, like you're saying, focus a lot on getting your lungs in shape with those three to four mile runs, um, mimic the hiking, stuff like that. I do, uh, I do hit the, uh, stair climber with a weighted backpack on at the gym. Definitely get some funny looks, but at the end of the day, who cares? You're training for an elk hunt. Right. Um, what else? Oh, I, I went out West, uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, I had a I had a 26 mile hike to do in two days to get to a uh, a put in on a river, and that absolutely crushed me. Um, my feet got blisters in my boots, which I wore these boots. I have crispy boots. I wore them for eight days straight last year elk hunting. Ten miles a day, no problem, no blisters. I hiked 12 miles uh, two weeks ago in Montana, and uh, probably had 35 pounds on my back. I don't know if it was my socks or what, or just that it was just like a straight line hike, you know, no stopping. Cause you know, you're kind of stopping and going quite a bit when you're elk hunting. Right. But uh, yeah, my feet got huge blisters on them. And then, um, so we had a 12 mile hike the first day and a 14 mile hike the next day. And I mean, the pain in my knees and my feet was, was just awful. I was, yeah, I was crushing ibuprofen and Tylenol just to make it through it. But so I don't know what that was all about. It's got me a little concerned for September, but dude, you got to go get that CBD oil. <laughs> I've heard about that. Yeah. Hey, I'm yeah, a yeah. huge believer in that stuff, man. Huge. <laughs> you use, I, you I, use that? I ran out of it, uh, about a month ago, but actually today I'm going to get some more and I, you know, there's some things in life that you could, that could be like hocus pocus, right? Ah, it's just, right. but, and I thought it was the placebo effect the first time I took, took it. Then I went and got my second, I waited a little bit, let, let some of the symptoms come back. And then like my bad knees, I have uh, a bad back. I just like, I'm a, I'm a piece of shit, right? I, I played sports. I played rugby in college and just beat the shit out of myself nice. for years. And then the CBD oil, the first time I took it, it, all that went away and I started sleeping better. I didn't yell at my kids as much. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to start taking this 
some more. And I, I'm telling you, man, I think that it would be awesome thing to take while doing a backpacking trip because I've been um, at the end of the day, you know, you get off the mountain and your legs are just toast and your, your joints are sore. Yep. And if you're, if you're, you know, sometimes my lower back will, will kind of act up. And when I'm on that stuff, man, I don't know. Just think about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. My, um, I normally suck down quite a bit of ibuprofen throughout the day when I'm out there, even if I'm not in pain, just yeah. to make sure I don't end up in pain. But, um, Ryan Lampers, he's a, uh, kind of a well-known hunting figure. Um, I think he's, a hunt harvest health podcast or something like that but he takes cbd oil yeah and uh he's he's a huge advocate my my wife's a doctor and she she says it's it's scientifically proven to help yeah. so and I, I hear that i mean you're it's not like you're getting high or anything like no, that it's just not even close yeah. not right. even close the right. first the first day i ever took it uh i got a little tired and then i went to sleep and i didn't wake up the entire night and I was like, oh, this is awesome. But right, then, right. But then at, you know, I kept taking it regularly, and uh, I, I wasn't tired anymore. I just felt, I don't know, more fluid, if that makes sense. Like my joints didn't hurt, my muscles. Yep. You know, I still had some sore muscles after a, a long run or a, a good workout session, but the recovery time was almost cut in half. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah dude, CBD oil, man. Yep. I'll check it out. <laughs> the next, the next hunting craze, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All yep. right. So we talk a little bit about getting ready for the upcoming season. And today's episode is actually going to be about broadheads and man, I don't know what it is about broadheads, but when you talk like there are so many of them and I, you know, I, I this is probably, I could the synopsis of this episode could be done in like one second, right? It's just like there's a ton of broadheads out there, and if you practice right with them, you're going to, you know, you're going to kill whatever you shoot with them for the most part, right? Right, um, correct. So over, let's just start here. Over the years, when you first started shooting a bow, talk to me about your evolution with broadheads. Oh, I was, uh, I shot those rage expandables the the two blade um i don't know first four or five years that i that i was bow hunting um and never had a problem never lost a deer um i ended up going to fixed because of elk hunting yeah uh i think montana i believe you have to i don't think you can use an expandable same as in idaho yeah yeah um so yeah uh and then i don't know it just i I got to the point where if it's just shot placement Mm -hmm. i don't i don't worry about what broadhead is on the end of my arrow um i just you just worry about shot placement i i will say that i think with expandables you get a much better blood trail um but uh with there's just a lot of energy that can be taken up yeah. by certain expandables and that that could limit yourself, especially on something like an elk. Uh, I know that I shot my elk uh, at 41 yards and I had a complete pass through double lunged it arrow sticking in the ground. I'm not sure that would have happened with uh, an expandable, especially I shot, I've been shooting the 
uh, NAP kill zones the last two, three years. It's a two blade expandable. And I've had a few that uh, if they if they do go all the way through the deer, they kind of just fall out the other side. They don't pass through and stick in the ground. You know what I mean? Right. So, so when you go elk hunting, you're you use a fixed blade. Correct. And then when you're doing your whitetail hunts, you go back to an expandable. Uh, it to, yeah. Either way, yeah. It, it, it depends. Um, I've I've got both in my quiver at all times. Yeah, I I never know when I'm gonna get down and do a spot and stock. Uh, you know, if that if you've got a buck that just I don't know. I've I've had a situation where I put a stock on a nice eight point and ended up shooting at twenty yards and stocked him from two hundred. And I threw a um, I threw a fixed uh, broadhead on because I had it knocked while I was walking. You know, hiking through. You know, stalking. Right. And if you're doing that with an expandable, you risk that thing opening up on a, you know, weeds or whatever. So, right. So I've, I've always got both in my quiver. I've lost more, uh, lost more deer with fixed than I have with expandables, but that is completely on me. That yeah. has it. They were both, they're both bad shots. Right. So, and that's one thing, you know, everybody says, and we, we could probably both agree on is that when you hit a deer where you're supposed to hit a deer lungs, heart, liver, you know, and I mean a good liver shot, you're probably, it's, it's going to die. Right. Right. Now, uh, perfect example is last year, right? I had a, I think the only reason I killed my buck last year is because I had a fixed blade on it. I, I feel I went through a lot of animal cause it was a hard quartering away shot. I, I took the shot. It ended up going about two inches to the right, which I ended up hitting, um, the rear left haunch and going through the guts, hit the liver out the brisket on the front end under the armpit. Right. Wow. I don't think, uh, I think I would lose so much energy with a, a lot of energy with, uh, uh, mechanical and it wouldn't have even made it that far at all. And, uh, I probably would have been, I would have lost that buck as opposed to ended up finding it the next day. Right. So, yeah, it's uh, one of those things, man. Where you know everybody has their own has their own uh, specific likes when it comes to a product like this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of walk through my my evolution of what I've used over the years. Now, when I when I first started bow hunting, um, man, I don't know who made them, but they're like the thunder like thunderheads or something like that. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that was what was at, and they were not a mechanical, right? And then right. everybody started talking about, I, I killed, I, let's see, I didn't kill my first buck until I moved off of, I shot I shot my doe with a fixed blade, my first blade. And then, you know, I started after that, I started doing a lot more reading on gear and, and talking to other bow hunters. And then that's about the time where the mechanical broadhead craze started to really take hold. And I ended up switching to a wasp jackhammer back in the day. And, uh, I killed a lot of deer with that mechanical broadhead. Then, um, I sw- I shot an NAP spitfire for a while mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. mechanical i shot a brand called an epic broadhead um 
that was the the first broadhead that ever had it was a mechanical all the blades concealed in the ferrule so when yep. you would hit it they'd come out of the ferrule so it was just like a big fat field point that when upon impact the blades would deploy right and then in 2010 i had an ex- uh, experience with a deer where i hit a little high and i hit probably just under the spine and it was a mechanical broadhead and i think i was still using the nap spitfire i hit i hit my buck and let me just put it to you this way he was probably about 210 inches okay oh yeah oh boy yeah so i hit him a little high and at the angle i it should have been because he was i was higher than he was on a terrain level like my tree was much higher and he was way low down in this crick, kind of in, in this crick system. I shot down. If it went through, it probably would have hit backside lung easy, but it hit the spinal cord, the, the actual spine, and it didn't hit, it didn't break the spine and kill him. And I just felt that there was so much energy loss upon the deployment of that broadhead that if I had a fixed blade, it was going through the bone, and. And I don't know exactly what my arrow weight was at that time, but I just felt that the reason I didn't get the penetration that I needed was because of the mechanical broadhead. And that was the exact point that I really started thinking hard about moving to a fixed blade broadhead. Yeah. And now I only shoot fixed blades for that reason. Now, it's probably not such a big deal when you're... I guess when you're whitetail hunting and for me, man, I put my tree stands in locations where I probably won't get a 30 yard shot just because of where I'm at. I'm I'm going into the thickest, nastiest stuff to try to get on these deer and I'm just not going to have the, you know, the long shot. Now I may, I practice for it, but I'm putting myself in a position to where 30, maybe 35 is going to be the longest. If I have the opportunity at 40, I'll take it. But, you know, it just is what it is. And so on a whitetail, it probably doesn't matter as much unless you're hitting a big buck or a big deer in a heavy tissue area like bone or, you know, a shoulder or something like that where – that energy loss just concerns me. I don't want to be that guy who has a mechanical broadhead open up in mid-flight or you bump it on the way to the stand or something like that and one blade opens and you don't notice it or for some reason it it veers off in one random direction, right? I don't want to be that guy. So I, my thought process here is you take that mechanical motion out of the equation and now you're just left with something that really doesn't move at all. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, you you're you're eliminating a possible failure. Unforeseen error. Yeah, failure. Yep. That makes great sense. Yeah. That makes, I've never thought about it that way. That's and, great. And you know, I talked with um a guy who worked for a, a pretty big manufacturer and I don't know, have you ever seen the movie Fight Club? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you you seen the movie Fight Club, and 
the one guy, he's an insurance adjuster. So in order for him to do a recall on a vehicle, there has to be enough money. I don't know what how they how they do it, but they're not going to recall a vehicle because it would cost too much money, right? So the amount of broadhead failures that people talk about, let's say on social media, if this company sells um, you know a hundred thousand heads and there's only you know. 20 people who have problems with them it's not a, it's not a manufacturing problem that's within the uh, the tolerance of for error if that makes sense right, right? yeah so i just don't ever want to be that guy again who has the encounter with literally the buck of a lifetime and then i'm not going to blame it on the product because i could have shot an inch lower and double lunged him you know what i mean right right but i just don't i would rather have my my poor shot be corrected or you know, i guess my poor shot um wouldn't have been a problem right at that point right. if i had a fixed blade if that makes sense yep. now on the other hand right we can say the same thing about let's say like a gut shot where there's no bone or have or like really dense tissue but where that extra blade like a mechanical has a wider cutting di- you know a wider wider mm-hmm. cutting path would be awesome if you had a mechanical at that scenario, but yes. for bone, so it's just like, you know, a half a foot one way, six inches the other. Yep. Yeah. Well, like you're saying, you know, if you hit that, if you hit high shoulder, um, your odds of blowing through that shoulder and still getting lungs with a with a fixed blade are, are way are much higher than you know with an expandable. Right. So or mechanical, whatever, however you want to call it. But yeah, it's. Yeah, it makes sense. I so my it depends. I I'm kind of like you. Uh, I think with whitetails, I'm not sure it matters as long as you're keeping your range. I don't know, thirty yards or less. Uh, I know that when I get out to Nebraska, um, the deer just do not move when you shoot at them. Um, Michigan, I mean. Any deer in Michigan that I've ever shot at, I've had most of them on film. They start ducking the arrow. You know, they go to jump. You know, yeah. they, they drop down to jump every time. Every single deer. I mean, you can see my wife because she shoots fifty pounds and a little slower. She's actually aims. You know, kind of low heart, and it typically always connects right uh, lungs because they just start dropping. Right. I have videos out in nebraska where and this is bad i took up i took a 55 yard shot on a buck uh, four years ago which i've learned my lesson on that whole thing i'm not going to go down that road right now but anyway the the buck never moved it was a four and a half year old shot at 55 yards he never moved my arrow went zipping by him and he never it was looking right at me he and never you missed moved. low uh, i missed wide left so okay. i yeah i i i'm pretty sure when i shot as I shot, I moved my my bow out of the way to watch, and um, I think I just drug that arrow over to the left. Yeah, uh, and it just and, and at 55 yards, I mean that it's just everything's amplified. So, but I had been practicing for elk, and I thought I was good out to 50, 60 yards. And but no, anyway, what I learned out there is that deer don't really move uh, at long distance shots. Right. probably should probably knock on on wood but um so when i'm out there i usually have a i usually have a fixed 
broad head on because I will, I'll shoot at 40 yards. I'll shoot a buck at 40 yards. Uh, like you're saying here, um, here in Michigan, I'm always have a mechanical because my shots are typically 20 to 30 and I, I don't want it. I don't want to extend it past 30 here in Michigan just because of how much, uh, the deer are on edge and they, they jump the string. So, right. Right. All right. So on your fixed blade, uh, talk to me about what you like for, for a broadhead. I mean, what, when you go to the store, you know, they have these walls full of broadheads and there's like 50 or 60 to choose from. Some even look the same. They're just different brands. What are you looking for, for a, a broadhead, uh, whether it's fixed or mechanical? Um, if it's, with it, with it, if it's fixed, I don't really put too much into it. I, I have a, I shoot, uh, the G five strikers. I think they are, and they, they fly, uh, right. Like a field point. I shoot them at a foam target. I'll take, I'll take each broadhead and I'll shoot it one time at, I think 40 yards at, you know, a foam target just to make sure they're all on. And I don't think I'm sacrificing too much sharpness with those blades by shooting them once through a, a target. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you can't do that with a mechanical, unfortunately. Yeah. At least I don't think, I don't, I've never tried it. I would think they'd mess it all up. So I don't really, I just, I've always shot G5 strikers. Is I'm, that a three blade or a four blade? It's a three. A three. It's a three. Okay. So and they're qu- they're quiet too. They don't make a lot of noise going through the air, which is nice. Um, with a mechanical, I just two blade something that's not um, something that has a lot of positive reviews, honestly. And then a large, you know, a two inch cutting diameter. Uh, I've the rages and the kill zones have have treated me well. I go with kill zones because they don't. They don't open very easy, um, which there's a perfect example of how much energy it probably takes to open up that broadhead. But that eliminates, for me, it eliminates any worry of that op- that broadhead opening up in mid-flight. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's a trade-off, you know what I mean? And they fly, the kill zones, they, they fly quiet uh, and they, they fly, you know, just like a field point too from, I've, I've taken, uh, I've taken like spent broadheads, spent kill zones that I've shot through deer that, you know, didn't look like they had any bend to them or anything like that. And I put them back on and I shot them at a foam target and they fly just like a, just like a field point. Right. So, so, you know, this is something that every broadhead manufacturer says is flies just like a field point. You know, our, our heads fly just like a field point. And have you ever had a scenario where you're, you're, you know, shooting your bow with your field points and then you put on a broadhead and it flies exactly the same way? Yes. Yeah. Really? The, yeah, the, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm just lucky. I've, re- I've read on forums a ton that, uh, you know, you have to, some people have to tune their bow for their broadheads. Yeah. And then, and then they go back and have to shoot their field points. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm just lucky, but, um, like I said, I shoot those fixed blade broadheads right at a target at 40 yards, and they fly just the same as my field points. Right. So, yeah, but you but you always shoot your before a hunt. You're always shooting your broadheads. 
That is correct. Okay, you're not. Because that's one thing that, you know, I think when someone says it flies just like a field point, that equals, hey, man, all you have to do is put our broadheads on the night before your hunt, and, you know, now you're good to go because it flies. Now, Yeah, let me back up. Yeah. So, so yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it, when I'm getting ready for an elk hunt, I'll take five arrows, put broadheads on every single one. I'll shoot them all at 40 yards. And the ones that are the most accurate, they go, the, the, the most accurate arrow is all the way to the left in my quiver. And the one that was off the most is all the way to <laughs> <laughs> the right. I swear to God, I don't know a better way to do it. That's a unique <laughs> way of looking at things. Yeah. So, cause you know, but at the same time, you got to think about it. Is it me? Am, am I the reason that, you know, that, right. sh- that, that arrow hit a little low? I mean, I'm not a, I'm a, I consider myself a decent shot, but I'm not, I'm not good enough to be in any tournaments or anything like that. You know what I mean? So right. you got to consider those things, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I do it. And then on top of that, I think that just creates confidence. And I, I would say that half of, or even 60% of, success in in hunting is confidence so whatever makes me the most confident that's just gonna be that's just how i how i operate yeah i i i'm the same way man now for me like in my past experiences even even a i guess a mechanical broadhead that says you know hey we fly just like a field point i i even i have to tune because it's it's a different head that's what you know than than what's currently on your arrow, right? Right. So right. I've never had any product really, and and I'm also kind of meticulous about what I, you know, what the definition of flies just like a field point is, right? Even if it's just a little off, I'm micro tuning to the point because you know at 20 yards, 30 yards, that's a that's a bigger error at 60 and 70 if you ever have to take that shot, especially out West, right? Where you, you right. have longer shot opportunities. Right. So, I mean, especially with fixed blade broadheads, um, they're always, for me, for some reason, they're always off just a little bit. Uh, now, uh, for the, let's see, I'm currently shooting a Boss 4 blade from Wasp, and I have to tune those just a hair to get them back, back on. Um, and then, like, with a mechanical, the last time I, I can't even remember what the last mechanical broadhead was. I shot probably the NAP Spitfire. I, I just remember having to tune that, that one a lot as far as getting, it was off like four inches to the right at, I don't know, 20 yards, 30 yards. And that, that could be me too, right? Maybe it's just a mental thing, but I, I just remember having to retune those. Uh, and then it, you know, it, they hit where they were supposed to hit. So, I mean, it doesn't take a long time to make that adjustment, but I just feel that everybody should be doing that regardless of what head they put on the, on their bow after they're done tuning with field points. Yeah. I, I think you, I think you need, I think you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the animal to know, you know, so same, I mean, same with, I, I number my arrows um, that way. I know if one just consistently flies, you know, flies differently than the other. Yeah. Um, you just kind of put it off to the side and use it for a red squirrel if need be. Right. But um, do you 
let's see here. Do you end up, uh, let's see, I forgot what I was going to say. Shit. Well, anyway, uh, do you look for something uh, specific in a, like a four blade or a three blade fixed blade or a two blade versus a a three blade uh, mechanical? So I've shot, the very first deer I ever shot was a three blade rage and one of the blades did not open up. So that was the end of that. That's the perfect example, dude. Yeah. That's a perfect example of having a flaw in a mechanical broadhead. Right. 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 So never, uh, the other two that came in the package, tossed them and I've shot two blade mechanicals since, I mean, that was like 2005. Right. So, and you um, stuck with the brain rage. No, I shot rage for, I think five or six years. And then, uh, I don't know, everyone was on that rage in the cage kick and I just, <laughs> I don't know. It, it became so cool. It was so cool. It became uncool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. You start doing your research, you start listening to podcasts and you start listening to hunters that you, you that have a lot of success and they're that are even more of a you know a, a bow or arrow or broadhead junkie than you are and yeah. you start testing out stuff that they're using and um yeah switch to the nap kill zones so yeah. and have you i mean you like do you like them i do i do i think i do think that they require a lot of energy to open up um but I have yet to lose a deer on with one of them yeah. again. Yeah, me, wood. You hear that? Yeah. It's me knocking on wood. <laughs> All right. So if you only had to pick one, are you going with a fixed blade or a mechanical? Going fixed. fixed. It covers everything. I can elk hunt. I can whitetail hunt. Yeah. Go fixed. Gotcha. Cool, man. Have you ever had any issues with planing uh, on your mechanicals? Uh, what do you mean about like it dropping? It like just shanks. No, no, no. The only thing I've had is they hit, they, they do hit a little low. Right. So it's, I, I'm sure I would assume that's because there's more air, there's more drag, you know, compared to a field point. Yeah. But, uh, whether it's out of a tree stand, you know, or from the ground, really, if I'm hitting, you know, one or two, one to three inches lower than what I'm aiming. I'm not terribly concerned, but no, I've never, I've never had a problem left to right. Gotcha. All right. So, so here's the question that I completely had a brain fart on earlier. Do you build your own arrows? I, I cut them and fletch them myself at the archery shop, but I wouldn't say that that's really building them. I just take what's there and, slap them together i guess that's building them but i don't know i don't get i don't get too into it like a a lot of guys i know a lot of guys will cut you know say they have a a 34 inch shaft or whatever and it needs to be 30 inches i know they'll cut two inches off the front and two inches off the back i don't i don't worry about that um and then i mean if you saw my arrows i glue my own fletchings on there's some that you know there's a little bit extra glue on there that could probably affect arrow flights so right. i build them but i don't get too too crazy about it gotcha so this year um i i ordered some day six i got some day six arrows uh okay so i went like i tried to go with a heavier mac truck type of arrow 
Yeah, they, they have a an outsert that goes on the front. So this oh, year, yeah. you know, you mentioned you mark your arrows down so they're all so you know which one maybe performs the least or you know or performs it just sucks maybe and you know you, you don't want to use that one first. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this year I have a four fletch arrow, and okay. I use a four blade broadhead. So for the first thing that I did was so that every broadhead arrow, because I have my my field tip arrows that I practice with, and then I'll go to my field points, and or my broadheads, and every one that I, every insert that I glued in, I first put the broadhead in, so that way I'm lining up the blade of the broadhead the same way on every arrow that makes sense makes sense so whether the knock you know whether it's uh, you know either way the knock is on you know if it's because there's two ways you can put the knock on the string right so either way it's going to look the exact same uh, on the on the arrow and that's i did that this year just to take the I guess the anal retentiveness a step further in making sure everything's the same. Right. So how, so how do you knock that arrow? Do you have it where? See, it's a, it's a four fletch, right? So it makes right. it, it's a base. If you look down the string, it's an X. Okay. I got you. Yep. I got you. That makes sense. Um, how do you like it? Did, did well, did you used to shoot a, a three-fletched arrow? Yeah, man. I shot a flea, uh, three-fletched arrow last year. The previous year, I had a four-fletched arrow. And I just feel I'm my arrow straightens out quicker with a four-fletched okay. arrow. And I'll probably go with a four-fletched arrow forever now. I don't know. Right. I, just, I just feel, even at long distances, the arrow seems to fly straighter. I, I've had, and it's probably... I'm comparing like there's, you know, like the Bible, right? There's AD and there's BC. Yep. There, there was the Dan Johnson, a, uh, BC that was <laughs> that, you know, it was like I was shooting an arrow and you know, it, it, I wasn't really focused on my gear as much as I am now. You know what I mean? Right. And then yeah. once I hit a certain point, I'm like, Oh, I really got to, I really want to hone in on the equipment that I'm using to go hunting. So I had broadheads on crooked, you know, not, not necessarily crooked, but all the inserts were put in different. So, you know, that nothing ever lined up. No, no two arrows were the same. Right. So, you know, this year I made sure they were the same and I have, I'll be shooting my broadhead starting next week. And I really, I'll probably, I, I, I hope to see a difference. I, I would, I would like to see a difference. If not, I just feel that the the arrow itself is more aligned, uh, just symmetrical, I guess you would say, and uh, hopefully it just flies straighter and hits hits truer, I guess. And hey, man, if it boosts your confidence, that that always helps. Oh, that's a fact, right? That's uh, yep. Like you said, man, that's a that's a big thing. Yeah, now, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy because you can't you can't even quantify. You know, you can't. It's an intangible. Right you know. now, what really pisses me off is when I have a really, you know, I'll switch to my broadheads. I'll have a good, sh- you know, shoot in the backyard. You know, I always, it just depends. Some days I, I start real close. Some days uh, I, I have a five pin sight. 
see 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. So I, I'll start at 60 and you know, oh, some days are really good, but then there's days where I don't know about you, but I just have a really shitty practice session and I know, oh, yeah. I know it's me. It's not my equipment, but you know, <laughs> I'm finding something to br- blame it on. It's like, Oh, these broadheads, man. I, I, uh, uh, these broadheads are the reason I'm not getting the accuracy that I want. I got to tune my bow again, which <laughs> typically if I have one of those really crappy uh, sessions, I won't even touch my bow. I'll, right. I'll set it down. I'll come back the next day and I'm fine. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. Um, Anything else about broadheads? Um, no, 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 sir. I, know. I will say real quick. Um, I don't know how close your twenty and thirty yard pins are, and it's probably too close to season to switch anything. But I've been shooting. I've, I've got a five pin sight as well. Um, mine's at twenty, forty, fifty, sixty, and eighty, and I've noticed that. Uh, a 20 yard to 40 yard gap. I mean, there's just so much more that you can see with yeah. those, through those pins. And then typically if you do have a deer or elk prop, well, not probably just a deer at 30 yards, the way that you're kind of spaced out is that your 20 yard pin ends up like on the top of their back and the 40 yard pin ends up right on their belly and you're right, you're right at 30 yards. You're kind of aimed right at their, you know, the center of their lungs. Right. And uh, now you have two anchor points, you know, you have two pins on that, that animal at 30. Um, and then, you know, 20 is, should be a chip shot as long as it's not a 210 inch buck. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, that, that was 22 yards. That I, is, I will yeah. remember that day for the rest of my life. And, uh, and, and it was on my 30th birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's one to remember. What day, what day is your birthday? November 5th. That's a great day to have a birthday. I know. Right. Yeah, Not like, a great day to go to a wedding, though. My brother got married November 7th. Mm. And I still kind of hate him for that. Because I had yeah. a real big buck show up on trail camera while I was at his wedding. Oh, yeah. They say that, uh, what is it, on record across the U.S., uh, the majority of Boone and Crockett bucks get shot November 6th, 7th and 8th every year. Yeah. And that's yep. Nice. Yep. So, and here's, here's one more quick little thing I'm, I'm ready to be done with. And that's, and I, I have a two or one, I have a one year old. He's going to t- turn two in September. So I got a lot of Halloween's left, you know, trick or treating left to do okay. yeah. every single year for the, like the past four years the first time a big mature buck on my hit list steps out in daylight in generally the same area of the farm that I hunt is on Halloween, the 31st, every single day. And instead of being in a tree stand, I'm doing the right thing. And I keep telling myself that it's the right thing by going out trick-or-treating with my kids. And I just, it's just like if Halloween got canceled, maybe for just one year, <laughs> I probably wouldn't be opposed to it. Right. Right. So I could see that. Cool, man. Well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Uh, there's going to be a second part to the broadhead uh, conversation. I'm going to be talking with a guy from Rage and then uh, Fred Doherty of Wasp on 
uh, on another podcast. It's, it's basically the 2.0 version of this one because uh, what we're doing, I like to have a conversation with Bob. Uh, we talk about the products and stuff that we use, and then we get some people who really know what they're talking about on the podcast, um, like uh, uh, on the, the 2.0 version of the Sitka or the Oh, what was the one we did previously? What was that podcast about? It was all uh, covered like our what we wear for elk hunting and uh, whitetail hunting. Yep, yep. So, so I'm going to try to get someone on from Sitka or Kuyu or First Light on and talk about layering and put together an episode. Ideally, I would like us to have our podcast first and then the next podcast that come out, uh, but just due to... Uh, you know with the professionals but just due to scheduling that that becomes hard so i'm going to do my best to organize it but it's probably not going to happen every time so hopefully me and you can knock out a podcast about a specific topic and then talk to some companies on the next podcast about that and uh, we'll see if that happens with this one or not so stay tuned for that bob any last words no uh well yeah get out there shoot your bow uh most of us have anywhere from you know whether it's a couple weeks or a month or two months but however long it is till opening day start shooting your bow if you haven't that's right we don't need we don't need guys dusting it off you know a week before great the uh the animals deserve more than that that's a fact jack all right talk to you next time